So, hello everyone. Uh, I'm Lisa Carter and welcome to this Intralingo Spotlight. Today we have the author Carla Damron from Columbia, South Carolina in the U.S. Welcome, Carla. Thanks and thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be really great. So, Carla, you are a writer of many things. Mm -hmm. um, the one we're going to talk about mostly today is your literary fiction, the novel The Stone Necklace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you also um, have written mystery novels and right. short stories and essays <laughs> and op-eds. And really at the heart of what you do um, is social justice, a lot of social issues. Do you want to just introduce us a little bit to where that comes from? Sure. So um, I have two careers, which I believe most writers have two careers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my other career, I'm a social worker. And I worked in mental health for over 30 years for the public mental health system. Um, and I worked at pretty much every setting. I worked in a hospital, I worked in an outpatient, in several outpatient clinics. I was in administration for a few years in the state office. Um, and so, uh, so I have that kind of bias towards talking about mental illness in a realistic, non-judgmental, non-stereotypical way. That's a big focus of mine. But I've also worked with folks that struggle with homelessness. And so I, I feel like as a social worker, I can maybe put a lens on things that's a little different than others might do. And so the, the, the careers have definitely merged. So I find myself writing about social issues, whether I intend to or not. <laughs> It's just kind of what happens. So yeah, so that's that's sort of how, like my mystery novels, they're, it's called the Caleb Knowles uh, series or crime mm -hmm. fiction. And he's a social worker, but he deals with things like a homeless shelter. He works in a mental health setting with someone that's accused of murder. So, um, so he, you know, he, he really talks an addiction. He, mm -hmm. he kind of dives into those issues from a social work clinical perspective, but also from a very human perspective. Right. And that's really what the stone necklace is about. Like it addresses homelessness you know, it deals with um, addiction as well. Um, it deals with, you know, the way I see it as well, it's also sort of this notion of um, perceived poverty and wealth at the same time, two real, right. you know, right. social issues as well. Um, and I think the, the excerpt you're going to read for us is from Joe, is it not? Mm -hmm. yeah. It is, yeah. So do you want to set that up a little bit and then sure. go ahead and, and read? So I want to tell, just describe what the novel's about. It's, um, it's about five lives that intersect at the event of a car crash. So it's the man who, this man is uh, kind of a hypochondriac who always thinks he's having a heart attack. And he actually has a heart attack driving to work. And that causes this accident. So it's about his family, his wife and his daughter, who's struggling with an eating, dis sort of a hidden eating disorder. The woman in the other vehicle is a, is a young mother who um, is just dealing with not 
her life not going the way she wanted us to go. They're having a lot of financial troubles, as are a lot of young families these mm -hmm. days. And then when he's in the hospital, the nurse that works on him is a nurse that is a wonderful cardiac nurse, but she's just back from drug rehab. This character, Joe, is a fellow that struggles with homelessness. He actually sleeps and lives in a cemetery behind a church. And um, Mitch, the man who's in the car accident, has been a benefactor for Joe. Um, he picks up Joe to do, he's a realtor, so he would pick up Joe to come and help clean properties and would pay him some cash. But he'd also would just kind of leave him presents. Um, he would leave him like a, you know, just, he always sleeps, Joe always sleeps on the same gravestone in the cemetery. So he would leave him like a bag lunch and things like that. And then when the accident happens and the presents stop coming, it, uh, Joe believes that those presents come from the Lord. So when the presents stop coming, he thinks the Lord is mad with him. Joe is homeless uh, to, with some degree of intentionality because he struggles with mental illness and he finds being around people to be very difficult. So this is sort of the, where, how we introduce Joe. And I'm just going to read a couple of pages to sort of let you get a flavor for Joe. Joe Booker lay still as a gravestone and listened for the Lord's message. Sometimes he came at dawn, his voice a golden warmth in Joe's ear and whispered instructions. So he began every day like this, motionless on his tattered sleeping bag, tuning out the sounds of traffic, of leaves rustling under raucous squirrels, of beeping garbage trucks emptying dumpsters on Maine. Because if the Lord wanted to speak, he was ready to listen. Lately, the Lord had been silent. Joe opened his eyes to see the sun just peeking over the horizon. The headlights from cars on Gervais Street glowed like a string of pearls curling into downtown. He heaved himself up, groaning as his bones tried to awaken, and brushed bits of grass from his jeans and his wool peacoat. The moisture from the morning dew made the ground colder than it had been yesterday or the day before. Days were getting shorter the icy grip of night holding on into the morning. Fading colors on the trees reminded him that fall was nearly done and winter would be next, which meant nights in the shelter. He postponed that as long as he could. Joe glanced down at his nest, grateful that he had a place so quiet and secluded. The north wall of the church shielded him from the wind, while the branches of the giant live oak offered some protection from the rain. He leaned against the familiar granite headstone that marked the grave of Wortham Hardin Pinckney, born 1848, died 1901, beloved husband and father, loyal servant of Christ. Mr. Wortham was a good Christian man, letting Joe share his resting place. He felt safe here, like maybe Mr. Wortham looked out for him. That was why the Lord told Joe to seek solace in the tiny old cemetery beside his holy house. Other instructions from the Lord had been slow in coming. Joe knew himself to be unworthy of the Lord's attention, but if he bothered with a man as undeserving as Joe, there had to be a reason. Maybe he, was some, he had something important he wanted Joe to do. Maybe all the other voices were a test, and Joe had to be ready to his, hear his voice, the one that mattered, when it came again. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, it really says so much that, um, 
you know, like you said, Joe, to a certain extent, um, chooses to be, not to be homeless, but not to go into the shelters, um, but that he finds such solace in this voice that he hears. Mm -hmm. He's always accompanied, whether he is really or not. Right. And, and his um, sorting through those voices, it's right. really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And for me, I mean, the folks that live that struggle with homelessness, they're their own community. And that's a community like all communities with good people and bad people and their allies and their people that are not allies. And, and he, he knows who to avoid. And, but sometimes bad things find you. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of his struggle. Yeah. And I think the novel too, because like you said, it's all these intersecting stories. They're all individual stories in and of themselves of each of the characters. Um, but what is fascinating is when they intersect and how they intersect and how our perceived notions of people are from the outside before we ever speak to them or get to know them. Um, you know, whether we're on the same side or a different side you know, like between the two families that are involved in the car crash. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not until speaking to one another that we get this, this notion of who somebody really is. Exactly. It's all in communication. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'm fascinated with is, um, or fascinated by, is how these families all live. We all live in the same town that is Columbia, which is, I call it a great big small town. Mm -hmm. um, but we experience home so differently. Tanya experiences home differently than Lena, the wife does. So Lena, well, Lena's more upper crust. Joe, of course, who travels the same streets, has a totally different experience of what Columbia is and what home is. That's very intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. And I think, um, you know, it's part of what we're doing at Intralingo is, you know, like I said to you before, is we are exploring the world. But right. The world is sometimes right where we are as well, but it's seeing it in a different way, in a different light, because we all only have our own perspective until we are exposed to another one. And um, expose ourselves to other ones, exactly. open ourselves up to those experiences. Exactly. And it's in doing that, that we learn something not only about the place and the people around us, but about ourselves uh, and our own perceptions and judgments and uh, prejudices and exactly. so on. Mm -hmm. People paint, people like to paint folks who struggle with homelessness with the same brush, and they are so different from one another. And if you get to know, know them as individuals, you, you have a very different perspective of who they are. Yes, yes. I remember um, a colleague of mine once telling me that uh, uh, her brother worked with homelessness, uh, with homeless people, um, and had a very different perspective on homelessness. And every time I was out anywhere with her, um, she found the most important thing she could do was to look a person in the eye and say hello, to acknowledge exactly. that they were a person on the street like any other. Um, and it was a really powerful lesson. Touch that humanity. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, what I guess what I'd like to ask you now is what you learned maybe about your own town of Columbia, about yourself in the writing and researching of, of the stone necklace that you didn't expect or 
Mm-hmm. I, I would say the, the biggest surprises kind of came after the book came out because so many people in Colombia read the book and they would say, now, where exactly did that accident happen? And exactly where is that cemetery? And I would say, well, the accident did happen at a specific intersection. And then what park? <laughs> so they really wanted to, they wanted to map out the book, which I found fascinating. That is. But, but the graveyard, um, they said, you know, the graveyard is, there's a, a large cathedral in downtown Columbia that has this old graveyard. Okay. So I used the graveyard, but I put a small community church there. I needed it to be a small church. And they, well, why'd you do that? I'm like, well, this is my world and I'm the queen. <laughs> <laughs> and I can make these changes. This is fiction. So, yes. so yeah, so that was kind of intriguing. Um, the other fascinating thing that happened, because the, one of the biggest themes of this novel is recovery. I'm a great believer in recovery from whatever, from trauma, from grief. Lena has to deal with such profound grief mm-hmm. um, from addiction. But it's not linear. It's not climbing stairs. You don't go up through, you know, you don't just keep going up and up and everything's great. You go up four stairs and you're down three and you start over. You hit the mm-hmm. bottom of the stairs, but hopefully you climb faster the next time. And you learn from every experience, from every cycle of that. Uh, right when the right after, right before the book was coming out, Columbia was hit by a 2,000-year flood. So we, as a community, were in the process, the beginning process of recovery when this novel right. came out the following February. So the, the flood happened in October. And then the following February, this novel came out. So it was, it was incredible timing. There's no flood in my novel, but the themes of resilience and what we go through, but it's okay, we will move forward, seemed to resonate with people. And so it was kind of magical timing that that happened like it did. That is, yeah, and you, you were saying that so many people read it, and that is in part because it was, um, the Stone Necklace was chosen as the One Community Reads, is that right? For Correct, yes. Yeah. So I did like every book club in Columbia, <laughs> every single one. I mean, they were wonderful. They were just, I loved doing that. And I did, I had a lot of public ex- uh, appearances because they wanted, it, it just needed mm-hmm. to be talked about. And so, um, so that was really a powerful thing for me. So I got to meet my neighbors that I'd never, literally neighbors I'd never met before that were at the book clubs and um, just kind of hear people talk about how it affected them or what they heard in the novel and how, what they connected with um, was mm-hmm. a profound experience for me. Cause in, you know, writing is communication. And so having that firsthand feedback from writers is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so one of the things you said is people wanted to know the details, but but what was it or what were some of the themes? There are so many themes in the book, but that really connected with some of the people you spoke with. So for example, I did a church uh, church school class um this isn't really a christian book, but there, I guess I guess there it could have some religious themes if mm-hmm. you wanted it to. So um Um, so I did this church school class and this woman was talking and she said that, um, she had lost her husband a year and a half before. And she said, but, um, and I really thought I was over my grief, but when I read about Lena's, it just touched 
this kind of well of grief that I didn't know was still there because she'd been, she'd, he'd been very ill. So she'd kind of been grieving him for a year before he mm -hmm. passed away. And so then she, while in the class, she sort of started crying because it was still such a fresh wound for her. And I got to watch the others in this class, just take care of her mm -hmm. in a really loving way. And, um, and it was it was really it was really significant for me. It was really powerful. And I had these stone necklaces. Um, the artist that did this stone necklace, which is on the cover, had made others. And so I was able to give her one of those necklaces. And she wrote me a beautiful note about how it had helped her so much and how she was wearing the necklace now to kind of help her with her own loss. And um, that was incredible. That yes. was absolutely incredible. That is so special and so special that you had those necklaces to be able to give her one. Yeah, it was really, really worked out well. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Um, and for anyone who hasn't read the stone necklace, what's one thing you would like them to take away? Um, if you have, well, I hope you will read it. Yes, um, they will. You can read it. You can read it um, lots of different ways, and it's also an audiobook form, um, which is it's done by a beautiful actress, a woman who's an incredible actress. This local did the the reading for the audiobook. So, um, I think what I would want to take away is that I hope that you that you find your thread. There's five threads in this. There's th there are five story arcs. I hope you find the one that you need to read and that it touches you the way it needs to. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, I have read The Stone Necklace twice. Well, thank and, you. Oh, yeah. I read it when it first came out, and then I read it again recently. Um, and, uh, and there is a lot to pull out of it. There really is. Mm -hmm. Well, I worked on it for six years, um, off and on. Um, it sent me to school. <laughs> yes, you said you went and got your MFA to to finish this novel so I could really figure out what I was doing. It was a it's a structurally it's a complicated novel because it's these braided stories. Mm -hmm. um, but but and I would have to say that it's made writing harder now because I want all my writing to be complicated like this <laughs> for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's it's really been quite a journey for me. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful. It's uh, complicated, but it's not complicated to read. It is uh, really quite seamless, and we are taken into each of these people's lives uh, really in quite a profound way. So. Yeah, I like to write from this sort of intimate third-person perspective or intimate first-person perspective where you're really kind of getting into the heart of the person. I've mm -hmm. tried to get the reader as close as they can get. And it's almost like using my clinical skills in a way to do the character mm -hmm. development, you know, so. Um, yes, yeah. interesting. Yes, because you certainly would know how to speak to people and, uh, and reach inside. That's, uh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's kind of weird how that happened. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to us, Thank Carla. you. And I'm so happy about this project. This is really cool. I can't wait to keep up with it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. So this is hopefully the first of many spotlights and then hopefully longer full, uh, full interviews. Mm -hmm. So for, um, for everyone watching, Carla's full bio will be in the show notes below this video. Um, please like it, share it, 
tell others about it. Carla, I will get a link from you about uh, the stone necklace so that we can make sure that's there as well. Um, and subscribe to the Intralingo channel to um, hear from other authors and translators um, as we explore the world and books and ourselves. Terrific. I would love to. Yeah. Thanks, Carla. Thanks. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Likewise.